pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I'm getting a little boom sound. I can hear it. What can I do to alleviate that? Sorry. I just don't want it to be annoying. Put it a little lower. Put it a little lower. Sorry. Well, while he's working on that, I would like to draw attention uh, to the service leaflet. There's a little error. Um, It says that I'm going to be delivering the sermon. And I thought in honor of Trinity Sunday, I would give you a 45-minute lecture on the Trinity. Oh, you're laughing. No, of course I'm joking. Uh, And you wouldn't be laughing, though, if I wasn't joking. If I proceeded with a lecture that was going to cost you another 45 minutes, uh, you'd probably be frowning. It'd it'd be bad news. Uh, Put a little little change in your evening plans, I think. Um, But you know that awful feeling when we have a change of plans. Like if I were to change your plans so drastically as to cost you an hour, um, we usually go crazy when we're interrupted like that. We go nuts uh, when an unexpected change occurs. We go crazy. We generally can't tolerate such a drastic change, can we? Uh, We usually respond in either great confusion, maybe frustration, when our plans don't pan out. Um, So we have a plan, and we want to stick to it. Thank you very much. So please don't give me a sermon, uh, or a lecture today, rather. When was the last time your plans were interrupted? It was kind of a silly question. I mean, every day, of course, but in a serious kind of way, where you really thought about it. Sometimes it's a welcome addition to our day, but generally and usually, it's, it's awful. Uh, we usually have a very tight grasp on our schedules, on our planners, on our calendars. There's no wiggle room whatsoever for interruptions. Even worse, if our plans do get changed, it usually ruins something further down the road that we had been planning for, not just the immediate, but the, the latter as well. And so sometimes the interruption is fairly minor, like you know, you, you're, you're late to work or school because you got in traffic. That's, that's kind of a small thing, although it's not a small thing if you were on the mystery trip two years ago. So every year the junior high uh, youth group takes a mystery trip, meaning you don't know where we're going. And so uh, we got into really bad traffic in Chattanooga, and it cost us the whole day. I mean, everything was squandered. We didn't, we didn't do a thing that we had planned. And we got to our destination, I think, maybe 9 or 10 p.m. It was awful. So maybe sometimes traffic's minor, but not always. Sometimes it's major. And if it were just the youth staff on that trip, if it was just me and Cameron and Sarah, it might, it might have been a big deal. We could have improvised and made it okay. But we had 30 or so kids screaming at us. So it was terrible. Um, so you can talk to me about a lecture. Anyways, plan alterations, they rarely begin in optimism or excitement. I mean, when we hear that the plans have been changed, you usually hear groaning or you feel that sense that uh, kind of everything is, is crashing in on you. It results in frustration. And when this happens too many times, we really get desperate and we despair. So where does all this come from? Why do we have this inclination? Why do we get so frustrated when life throws us a curveball? Why do we go from having just this superb plan to sometimes finding ourselves at a major crisis, asking ourselves who we are and why do we even exist in the first place? This happens often, really, uh, when we have a stint of success or hit a major milestone. You know, we, we, we're on a high point, and then things don't go according to plan after that, and we don't know what to do with ourselves. I think in this time of year, especially for college graduates, I mean, it is a major crisis because you've, you've got your GPA up there, you've graduated, you know, you've got your degree, and now you're looking for a job. And if you don't get it in X amount of time, you know, in your field with a certain salary that fits your five-year plan, it's a disaster. And that's not just true for college graduates. Seminary graduates feel that way sometimes. But we all feel that way. It's not just graduates. Uh, it could be in, in a career. Um, I just know growing up, trying out for the basketball team, which I didn't make, it was a crisis for me when I did not make the basketball team. We all have those little things. We have an expectation in place, and we're really optimistic about it on the front end. But when, it, when we don't meet that expectation, 
and the results aren't what are demanded, uh, ends in great defeat or despair when we don't reach that potential. But sometimes after falling, you know, we still feel like we have the energy to get ourselves up. Occasionally, we still can pull ourselves up, have the victory. We install a new plan. Plan A didn't work. Going to go to plan B. Plan B may, may not be as shiny or as great as plan A, but it's still looking pretty good. We're still going to fulfill our dreams. And then if plan B doesn't work, plan C, if some of us still have the energy for that. But friends, this is really just the law at work. We use the, that word a lot, the law. But the law at work in us has this, this great need to be something, to do something, uh, to accomplish something, and really to prove something to others and to ourselves and even to God. It causes us to set up demands on ourselves, expectations, lofty plans. Um, this occurs in each of us. And for the religiously minded people like Nicodemus in our passage, it can come from the Bible. There's, there's an expectation to be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Or love your neighbor, love God your Father, and love your neighbor as yourself. But outside of the realm of so-called religion, we still feel the weight of the law. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not, you still feel the weight of the law. Uh, for the college graduate that I mentioned a moment ago, it could be you know, the law is get hired at an oppressive company, make a good salary. For children, the law can be impress your parents, don't mess up, they're watching. For parents, the law is you better raise smart, beautiful, talented, impressive children. Everybody's watching. For all of us, the law says be somebody, prove yourself, do something. So we live under this illusion that this demand of us that the law gives, it can be met. So we set up our plans to, to accordingly meet that goal. Uh, to fulfill the law. And the demand is coming earlier and earlier. You know, I talked about in junior high, I wanted to make the, the basketball team, but I remember in junior high too, I'm a junior high youth minister, so this is kind of on my radar, but, um, you know, the, the anxiety of making sure I get into an uh, advanced class. You know, I had to get into advanced class, but I didn't get it advanced. When I got to high school, I'm not going to be in honors, uh, I'm not going to be able to do AP, I'm not going to get to go to the college I want to go to. You can see uh, the progression, I'm not going to get to the job I want, the salary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's crazy. It's crazy for a 12-year-old to feel that way. It's crazy for any of us to feel that way. But that's, that's the law at work in us. And so Nicodemus, he's, he's well aware of this. It's nothing new uh, just to our society. It's true 2,000 years ago. It was true 4,000 years ago. It's true forever. Um, he's a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he's a ruler at that. He's not just an ordinary you know, religious person. He's, a, he's, a, he's in charge of other people. He has a lot at stake. And that is why he goes to Jesus in the darkness of night. Because he, he has his reputation that he has, to, he has to maintain. He cannot risk being seen in the day. It would jeopardize everything, all of the expectations that he has for himself. And so I don't want to psychologize him too much. I mean, there's not, there's not a lot on what Nicodemus is feeling, but something's pretty clear that plan A for Nicodemus is not working out. Plan A is just simply not working. Uh, or otherwise, he wouldn't be going and looking for, for answers. He's a planner just like you and me. It's just not working. But Jesus does not give Nicodemus a new plan, a plan B, if you will. In fact, he throws planning and grasping for control completely out the window. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again? How? Can he enter back into his mother's womb a second time and be born? This is Nicodemus' response. And you notice his response. What does he say? He says, how? In other words, what do I need to do to make that happen? How can I initiate this? How can I make this happen? He wants a method or a plan to set in motion that he can be assured that the new birth is going to be something for him. He wants a plan B, but Jesus is not offering that. The second birth is not something that Nicodemus can initiate. It must come from God. It's unsolicited and unexpected. 
you know, we're a lot like Nicodemus. You saw it coming. You know the, the progression of the sermon. I'm going to go towards us. Um, we all want to know how we can do something. We want to know how we can initiate plan B or ensure that it's going to work if plan A didn't work. We still want control. You know, I think often, and this is a flaw of my own, but I think often in terms of Seinfeld, I, I view the world through the lens of Seinfeld. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on how many Seinfeld fans we have because it might break my heart a little. But I can say this. If you haven't watched Seinfeld, uh, Hulu's bringing it this summer. Uh, I think it's like June 26th. All nine seasons are going to be Hulu. So if you're embarrassed, you know, you feel behind the curve, you feel like you haven't, you know, didn't live the 90s, here you are. Um, anyways, but I think in terms of Seinfeld and George Costanza is just the quintessential example of wanting to have a plan, and when a plan doesn't work out, having a new plan, and it's still crashing. I remember an episode where George is at a diner, you know the one that they're always at, and he's sitting and he realizes, um, my plan is not working out for my life. I'm short, stocky, bald, unemployed, living with my parents, have no prospects for dating. Uh, the highlight of my day is the daily news. So he realizes he's just a complete loser. And he realizes that every decision that he's ever made was really the wrong choice. So what does he do? That was plan A. Plan B is, I'm going to do the exact opposite. If everything I've been doing is wrong, I'll just do the exact opposite. It's going to be right. So he puts the new plan into place. And he's sitting at the diner. And he orders, um, I, I believe his order was chicken salad on toast um, with coleslaw and a cup of coffee. And he goes, wait, I'm not going to order that. The opposite of that is tuna salad on rye, untoasted, with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. Yeah, opposite George has it all figured out. New sandwich, new side order, new drink, new life. Plan B. We laugh, but you know, I'm George Costanza. You're George Costanza. Nicodemus is George Costanza. We all want a plan B. We all are grasping for an opportunity to fix what we've messed up. We still have this illusion that we can fix our problems. We have an illusion that we can initiate the new plan to be born again, if you will, to salvage our old plan. But Jesus flat out tells us that we can't do that. We aren't in control. We must be born again. And I don't remember if you were at your own birth and you, you know, started the whole thing, but it just kind of happened to me. I didn't initiate it. Uh, in the same way, the new birth only comes from the Spirit. We don't initiate that. So, you know, our other reading from, from Romans really touches on this as well, uh, this, this new life in the Spirit. And this is still, I think, in the realm of Trinity Sunday. So if you feel like you didn't get your lecture, maybe there's still a little bit of a didactic use to this. But, you know, the first half of Romans is kind of all about how plan A doesn't work. It's showing how the law crushes us. That's plan A, is trying to meet the demands. And Romans is just kind of an example of how that doesn't work for us. So much so that Paul in chapter 7 says, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul can't construct a new plan either because everything that he wants to do, he can't, and, and vice versa. We can't construct a new plan. Only God can do that for us. And that's why in, in Romans 8 here, he says that the new plan for us is that we are sons and daughters of, of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. We've been born anew, um, being given a new identity. So this is that strange work of God's Spirit, bringing the joyful, unexpected reality of grace to fruition in us. It's not something that we could have predicted or planned or accounted for. It just happens to us. It's like the wind. The Spirit moves where it wishes. And so the new birth and the new life brought forth by the Spirit comes as an unexpected interruption. This gift of the Spirit culminates in knowing that our plans for ourselves are not sufficient. Only God's plan is sufficient. And how do we know God's plan? I think if you just 
you jump to the end of that passage, John 3, 16. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. This is God's plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We can be assured of that. That's God's plan for us. So going back to that earlier problem, the way I kind of set up today, the sermon, the problem of feeling great despair when our plans don't flesh out, they don't pan out, that feeling like everything's crashing in when, when our plans don't work. How do, we, how do we address that problem now? Well, we know that we don't have to fear this anymore because even though, even though our plans have messed up, plan A, plan B, plan C, we know that the good news of the gospel, the good news of this God who is Trinity, is that no matter what our plans are, his plan for us is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so his, his plan will not fail. In Christ, we will not perish, but we will have life. Therefore, we can have the freedom and spontaneity to be released from the law, released from demand, uh, the demand of our own plans. So I'm going to conclude. I don't know if you've seen this publication. I, I would like to finish in my own words, but really um, the guys at Mockingbird said it better than I ever could. But this new, this new book called Law and Gospel, which I highly recommend, um, they talk about this this whole problem I've been talking about, this feeling to meet a demand of our plans. They say one of the fruits of the gospel is spontaneity, that word I mentioned a moment ago. This is kind of a longish quote, so bear with me, but I I do think that it it hits home um, what we need to hear today. So they say, Jesus talks about spontaneity as being born of the Spirit. The Spirit blows where where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So that was our passage today. In this way, the nature of the Holy Spirit is akin to the nature of imagination and improvisation. It creates rules of its own and does not lead in any specific direction. The Holy Spirit, which Jesus says cannot be conjured or manipulated, creates a way out of no way, a somebody out of a nobody. The Holy Spirit ignites possibility in places where no one would expect to find it, and spontaneity remains open to its direction. I'll skip down a little. It's all good, but I'm going to skip a little. So while the law calculates, the gospel improvises. While the law seeks the most effective and efficient route, the gospel provides the willingness to take the back roads and get lost. While the law looks over a shoulder for a better conversation to be having, the gospel inspires the conversation at hand, and trusting full well that you are exactly where you need to be. So I'll close with that, and I'll just say to you, you're exactly where you need to be. God has you in his hand. He has a plan for you. And even though your plan A may not work out, God's plan is going to work out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you and for me. Amen. Amen.